The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, my Voice America listeners. Very happy to have you with us today. I hope you have reflected on some of your past successes while diving into all those challenges during the last week. Uh, Very excited. I'm actually holding the show here in downtown San Francisco. The last couple weeks, I've been up in Mendocino County helping a school district up there. And I just really want to thank some people here at the hotel because they really helped me to set up my computer and get everything ready and made me feel very comfortable. So thank you, Anna, and thank you, Rafi, and thank you, Uncle Toy, who has worked at this hotel for 40 years and is retiring on Sunday. And he's a Chinese national who came here 70 years ago, and he has worked his bone, worked himself to his bone. So I congratulate him on many good years of work. I'd like to, uh, I'm very excited about today. We have tried to bring you shows that will help you better understand individuals with disabilities or to give you resources to people or families living with disabilities. Today, I'm going to discuss one of my favorite topics, school psychology. Really happy to have on board today two colleagues and friends from the California Association of School Psychologists, President Tom Sopp and Executive Director Heidi Homblad. They will be joining us in the second and third segment. I became a school psychologist in 1993 and have been practicing as a licensed psychologist since 1997. All my work has been done with children in schools and with children with severe challenging problems. I was fascinated by the combination of psychological and academic supports and chose to make a career out of this mostly focusing on children with developmental disabilities and children living with emotional challenges and very traumatic life experiences. In my own practice, I've always emphasized a good understanding of the child by understanding those around them. You know, I kind of stick to a saying that Carl Jung stated 50 years ago. Before deciding on changing anything on a child, first look at the adults around the child and see what needs to be that they must change first. So it's really important that we don't, when we do an assessment, when we do an evaluation on a child, that we don't put them into a box because of a certain disability label or because of who they are, race, class, gender, and we see them as an individual. I see school psychology as a community effort to support the needs of children and young adults in schools. So, so where did it all come from? You know, the history of school psychology is, is pretty interesting, and it started back in 1890. It actually was a period that was called the hybrid years, when school psychology was a blend of many kinds of educational and psychological practitioners kind of loosely mobilized around a dominant role of what, would, what we call a psychoeducational assessment. 
for special class placement. Social reform implemented, which included compulsory schooling, juvenile courts, child labor laws, mental health and vocational guidance. These cultural and social advances were a major force in the push for the need for school psychologists. Compulsory education, which was established back in 1918, resulted in a mass of learning of individuals from diverse backgrounds. Some of these children showed up for school in poor general health and some children tended to learn slower than their peers. Physical and mental examinations became necessary in schools. By 1910, some special education services were in place in many urban and rural communities. Due to the emergence of special education services, experts were needed to assist in the selection of and placement of children in these services. Thus, the school psychologist became known as what we call the gatekeeper for special education, and that's how that evolved. Early models of school psychology evolved primarily from Leitner Whipner and G. Stanley Hall. Whipner focused mostly on ideographic clinical model or the independent individual which could provide actual services for the individual, where Hall's focus was more, on re- was more research-oriented, looking to develop normative characteristics for groups. Over the ensuing years, these two approaches were blended to form the foundations of school psychology, particularly the testing movement. No individual is more recognized in the forefront of this testing movement than Alfred Binet. And when I was, <clears throat> oh, I must have been about 20. I was working for a Montessori school, and the Montessori school was here in San Francisco, and it was called Binet Montessori. And why was it called Binet Montessori? Because the grandson of Alfred Binet ran the the uh, preschool. So that was my actual first experience working with young children. Was working in Binet's uh, preschool. <coughs> Excuse me. Together with Theodore Simon, the two helped spur the individual testing movement by developing the first practical intelligence test battery, which assessed higher level cognitive skills and produced substantial correlations with measures of school achievement. So what does that mean? It means that they actually were able to develop a test, which we now call an IQ test or an intelligence quotient test. And we're able to say, okay, if a person scores a certain level on this, then we would expect that they would score a certain level in their academics. So if they're scoring average levels in their cognitive or intellectual ability, we would figure then that they, if there's nothing at play, nothing going wrong, then they should be at an average and had good instruction. They should be at average levels in their academic instruction. One thing that we do know that comes into play is the actual instruction. So when and this is something that we later kind of determined. Um, now, one of the things that Binet influenced after World War One had a major influence on the development of group standardized tests. Tests that were called the Army Alpha and the Army Beta. And these tests were used uh, uh, to kind of place people within the Army ranks. Um, and the utility of these tests gained public attention and acceptance. The development of individual ability and achievement tests helped define the primary role and function of early school psychologists. These tests were used in differentiating students with different ability and achievement levels and became the main tool used by psychologists in educational settings. We do a lot of evaluation as school psychologists and our training 
began by using normative standardized types of tests. We now also use a lot of alternative types of testing um, to best determine an individual's uh, skill level and ability. In 1925, we saw the establishment of the first school psychology training program at New York University. It was an undergrad and a graduate program. In the 1930s, brought the first doctoral level training program to school psychology. In the 1930s, the State Department certification for school psychologists occurred in both New York and Pennsylvania. It was the first time that we had seen a certification occur. Furthermore, in the 30s, the American Psychological Association was founded, but excluded most practicing school psychologists because most did not have doctoral level training, which was a requirement for membership. Now, we're still mostly master's level uh, individuals as school psychologists. Some of us have gained a doctorate in school psychology, but the norm is at a master's level, and that's what the school utilize a lot of. There was a movement to remove the word psychologist from our, our title if you didn't have a doctoral degree, and that went through the association or the American Association of, of uh, excuse me, the American Psychological Association couple years back and was defeated. So we still at master's level are called school psychologists in most states. The American Association of Applied Psychologists was formed and had a less stringent membership requirement, thus many school psychologists became members of that. In 1945, APA, again that's the American Psychological Association, brought the establishment of Division 16 which formed specifically for the specialty of school psychology. In 1951, actually, CASP, the California Association of, of School Psychologists and Psychometricians, was founded. It actually helped later to find the National Association. CASP was founded in 51, and its first convention of psychs and psychometrists was a year later, and that conference's purpose was in place because there was a law that was enacted in 1947, and it was called the law to educate mentally retarded minors, but it was the idea, it was the first time uh, people with intellectual disabilities were being given services and that there was a law in regards to it. So CASP was the first to have a, a conference or a convention of school psychologists and they eventually dropped the second P and are now known as the California Association of School Psychologists. In 1969, the National Association of School Psychologists was formed, NASP. NAS brought practitioners nationwide together in a more stable and strengthened identity. Uh, somewhat. You know, I, I believe that NASP has done its best to have equity across states. However, we see psychological services much different in, in, in some states than we do in California and New York. We go into Louisiana, you go into Alaska, you go into certain states, and you do not, Oklahoma, you don't see certain uh, um, uh, sorry, supports in place. And that's where the difficulty is in saying that there's, you know, a stable strengthened identity. NASP has become known as a organization really f that helps researchers and university training programs and practitioners, where CAST 
or the local state associations really focus on their practitioners, though CAST does have a research component to it also. You know, secondly, we went into, so those were called the hybrid years, and it was kind of this time between, um, so sorry, it was this time that they were trying to bring together that individual type of clinical look at somebody that Whitner really was focused on, and how do they compare to other people? How do we blend the two? How do we blend the psychological and the academic together? And so those were called the hybrid years. <laughs> Later, we got into what are called the thoroughbred years. That's like 1970 to the present day, a time of growth in a number of training programs, practitioners, state and national associations, and the expansion of literature and regulations, all which contributed to the stabilized profession entity called school psychology. So it's since about 1970, we've seen a huge growth in the field of school psychology and special education. In 1975, Congress passed the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, better known at the time as Public Law 94142. 94142 was the first law, and I've talked about it before on the show, that brought education to 16 to 18 year olds with disabilities. Six year olds to 18 year olds, I don't know what I just said, sorry. And we want to realize that it wasn't until later that it was extended to kindergarten or preschool three to 21, and then later birth to 21. So we now have the need to access children as early as infancy going through their 22nd year. Public Law 94-142 proved to be a landmark legislation requiring public schools to provide students with a broad range of disabilities, including physical handicaps, mental retardation, speech, vision, language problems, emotional behavioral problems, and other learning disorders with a free and appropriate education, which is what we call FAPE. And I've discussed that also on the show. FAPE, everybody has a free public education, but the A in FAPE means individualized, appropriate. And so the person who's in special education has a individualized appropriate plan built for them. It's been my pleasure to have worked in many different situations. I've worked in schools for children with autism. I've worked in schools with children with physical disabilities. I've worked with children who are on ventilators, who can't speak, who need alternative forms of communication. I've worked with kids who have normal intelligence but can't move a, a, a part of their body. And this allowed me to really develop a way of assessing kids that just looks at everybody separately. That passage of 94-142 triggered an enormous growth in the number of school psychologists. From like 5,000 in 1970 to 10,000 by 1980 to 20,000 by 1988. Look, in California alone, CASP represents like 5,000 school psychologists and a school psychologist can get a license after being in practice for three years, taking an exam, going through an internship, going through some other classes, and they become what's called a licensed educational psychologist. And they can practice on their own outside of a school district. Um, 
and which is something that I've been doing since 97 and have been part of the California Association of School Psychologists working with their what are called LEPs. So the practice has broadened because we needed to get outside people helping us too. The tremendous growth came in the corresponding increase of the number of state associations from 17 in 1970 to 48 by 1990. And I believe that we don't have a state that doesn't have a state affiliation. The national organization, NASP, the National Association of School Psychologists, began assuming much more responsibility in determining educational and professional qualification standards, as well as moving from a reactive model, simply responding to information and recommendations from outside agencies, to a proactive model, working to influence the types of decisions these other agencies might make. Again, NASP developed a monthly newsletter in 1969 called the Communique, a quarterly journal called the School Psych Review, publishing books, other products, best practices in school psychology. There is a national certification program and there's a national directory of training programs and credentialing requirements. We had on board with us um, the people from Cal State LA uh, a couple of weeks back, maybe a month ago now, and that is a nationally certified program. I graduated from Uh, UC Riverside, that's also a nationally accredited program. So it's very important that these programs are nationally accredited so that we can see the uh, uh, continuance and the continuum of the same types of programs, equity in programs across the United States. Um, Got more to say. It's our first break time, so I'm really happy when we get back from break, we will be meeting with Tom Sopp, president of CASP, and Heidi Homblad, the executive director of CASP. So get yourself a cup of coffee, and we'll see you in a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit totalprograms.org. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, everybody. I'm, again, hope you were able to get yourself a little treat or a little cup of coffee. I made some great scones the other day. I wish I could pass them out to you over the radio. Um, really happy to have with us Tom Sop and Heidi Humblad. Tom, is, well, first of all, let me say good morning to you both to make sure you're on air. So, Tom, good morning. Good morning, Sean. Thank you for uh, inviting me to be on the show. Very happy to have you with us. And Heidi, good morning to you. For having us uh, here on the show. Yes, I have been happy, very happy to know both of you for quite a long time, over over a decade. And Tom is the president of the California Association of School Psychologists. He's been a school psychologist for 15 years and currently is practicing school psychology with the Long Beach Unified School District, serving on the CAST board and committees for the past six years. He's had experience advocating for students and school psychologists at the school site level, state level, and federal level. He's actually worked in two school districts or two school areas that are, are, are very well known. One is called the Southwest SELPA. A SELPA is a special education local planning area. It's kind of a organiza- organizing group for local school districts. And that particular SELPA uh, created a lot of programs and shared them throughout the state. And Long Beach Unified has come up with a lot of social skills programs and programs for children with emotional issues. And so it's really good to have his experience. So I welcome you, Tom. Well, thank you, Sean. Heidi Humblad is the executive director of the California Association of School Psychologists, a professional association that represents more than 5,200 school psychologists and licensed educational psychologists in the state. Ms. Homblad was formerly the association's director of communications before taking the helm in 2013. Ms. Homblad represents CASP on the Pupil Services Coalition and as a stakeholder before several state agencies. A former newspaper reporter, Ms. Homblad worked in public relations on new home, environmental, and educational campaigns. You know, I kind of just quickly said it, Heidi, but you took over the helm in 2013. She actually took over the helm of the organization when the organization almost failed completely. We had considerable financial issues coming out of that whole 2008-2010 period, and she and her team saved it. And it's such an important organization because it does help over 5,000 school psychologists for every school psychologist, you've got about a thousand kids that they have to watch over. So if she was able to get that organization together, that means that hundreds of thousands of kids 
have benefited from it. And so, Heidi, I, I'm really happy to have you on the show, but I really thought it was important that that is said, because without you, I don't know that cast would still exist. So, welcome. Oh. Welcome. And, it's, and, I, and I don't say it lightly. I, I, I mean that. It's an organization that we need because it, it was really one of the first state organizations, right? Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But, well, and thank so, you so much. Well, it's been a model for everything. And so I believe also that your way of running the affiliation should be shared with other state affiliations. So when they start to have challenges, they know what to do. So, Tom, okay. tell me, how did you get interested in this work with individuals with disabilities? Well, it was totally by accident, to tell you the truth. I was a youth director working with um, youth in an urban setting, and frequently I'd come across students who were in crisis or experienced some sort of trauma or had significant mental health issues, and that really kind of got the ball rolling for me. I became very interested in mental health. I earned a master's in clinical psychology with an emphasis on uh, child and um, uh, marriage family therapy and went on to get my license and I began to see um, a transformation occurred in me seeing psychopathology as, as really a, a disability and just how disabling it is for people and that was really the gateway for me in, in my road uh, to working in a school setting. When you say psychopathology, just for our listeners, tell me what you what you mean by that. Well, I was working with uh, adults who had schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and I really began to see them as really kind of being victims of, of a disease, you might say. Right. And seeing how it really um, just reduced their functioning in life. And it really, I, I just became very compassionate for you know, their experiences and um, the support they needed in order to becoming to become functioning again. It's interesting because whenever I ask that question, I would say now nine out of ten people have answered, I came across this by on accident. I didn't know what I was getting. I was trying to get a summer job. I started to do this work and fell in love with it. And that's why well, that's why you're good at what you do, Tom, and that's why we're happy you exist because you have to have that first thing I believe you have to have for the kids or the individuals is respect for them. And when you see them as people, not as a disability, not as a mental health issue, but as a person who's dealing with challenges in their life and this is how their body reacted to it, you see them as a person and you're able to really assist them more and in, in, in a respectful way and keep their dignity. I mean, we even use the word schizophrenia, like, oh my God, he's schizo. Like saying, it's almost like it's a put down to people. And so by saying, hey, I started to see this person as having to deal with a, an illness, just like with cancer, nobody makes fun of the cancer. Nobody says, oh, you're a cancer patient or you're a cancer, you know, and, and actually, once again, you know, we need people out there that respect our individuals with disabilities so that they're seen as people. So not to say too much, but so tell me, tell me more. Tell me how you got into the field of school psychology. I was in, you know, I was in mental health and just by accident again, I found out there was such a thing as school psychology. I had never mm -hmm. heard of it before. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I've always wanted to be kind of the, the crocodile hunter 
I don't know if you've ever seen the show, but, you know, in the crocodile hunter, they they study animals in their natural habitat and environment. And and that's kind of how I always wanted to work with uh, students, to to see them in their natural environment, to really be on the front lines. I mean, very few professions have access to kids like school psychologists do. I work at two schools, an elementary school and a middle school. Together, I have 2,000 students that I have access to. Now, that's not a very good ratio. Uh, that's way too many students. The NASP rec- recommends that it be at least, you know, one to a thousand. But if you have a heavy right. needs school, then you're really looking at one to 500 to 700 students. Right. And I don't know anybody that has a ratio smaller than that. I talked about one in a thousand, and that's just like fantasy ratio. But really, it's like one school psychologist for a whole school. And, uh, and, and in your case, multiple schools. If you have a one school psychologist sitting at a high school, you've got 2,000 kids that 10% of them, if, if as low, 10% are going to need support. That's over 200 kids right there. And to be able to see them, you only have 180 days in the school year. So it's becomes very challenging. And there is one of the things that I didn't mention is there's a huge lack of school psychologists right now. So people listening out there, if you're interested in a career that combines psychology and schools, this is the career for you. So I, I, how do you do it, Tom? How do you, you know, your uh, um, convention this past year emphasized crisis intervention, which is a huge area. And how, how do you, uh, uh, why was that an area that you chose to support out of all the different areas that there are that we, in school psychology? Well, our, our theme uh, was exactly trauma advocacy and intervention. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing that I see in, at, at a school site is that when a student has a reading problem, I, I don't see adults personalizing that. I, I don't see them saying, well, the student's having difficulty reading to get back at me or right. create problems. But oftentimes when I see students that have uh, demonstrating behaviors that are interfering with their educational progress, oftentimes the adults kind of personalize that. Oh, they're, they're doing this to kind of get back at me or to create trouble for me. And what I find out is that oftentimes these students are demonstrating behaviors because they're, they're in some sort of crisis at home or they've experienced some sort of trauma. There was, for example, there was one student I was working with who experienced this, this significant trauma at school, it just so the next year we see his behavior increase, where he has like 26 discipline entries. Mm. Previously, he had one for the for the first five years of his educational experience. Mm-hmm. He wasn't trying to get back at anyone, or or, or just to be you know um, a, a problem for adults. He was reacting to a trauma that he experienced. He was shouting out to the world. He was shouting out to the world, I'm here and help me. And I'll have to show you how we only get help when we act out. They leave us alone when we're quiet. So here you go. I'm going to act out and show you how much help I need. Right. He he couldn't articulate it. Uh, He was only in elementary school at the time. Mm -hmm. But you're right. His his behavior certainly spoke for that. You know, it's interesting that you said that, too, because we brought that up on another show. These ideas that these kiddos that we have in special education programs are given goals that are so high, we'll be able to interact with with peers his age. We'll be able to express himself when he's feeling unhappy. Well, I know a lot of adults 
that have no ability to do that whatsoever. They can't express themselves, especially when they're upset. They get angry, they yell, they do the same thing that the kiddo would do. So we have to have expectations in programs and supports in programs that are real, that can really help a kid and not place them in some, not only do we place them in this quote unquote special program, but then we also give this like heavy duty responsibility to them that you got to get your whole act together in this in this class. And quite often, first of all, that's not going to happen. And secondly, we need to promote a, a way of the kids feeling good about themselves, about what they are able to do. And when they're in crisis, they not only are not able to show their, their, their best sides, but they aren't even able to think. What was your, your message to school psychologists in regards to crisis intervention? Um, well, we provided uh, multiple opportunities for training when it comes to working with students um, that have experienced some sort of trauma. You know, we, we need to advocate for them at the school site. Um, one, one, of the, one of the things I really enjoy as a school psychologist is really coming aside the student and, and really kind of learning their story and then be able to communicate that story to adults in a way that's helpful um, for them to support the student. And, and that's something we try to, you know, um, advocate, you know, at the uh, convention as well as ways to provide intervention for the student. As school psychologists, besides this, conducting assessment, we get to provide intervention. And so there's a ways that we can intervene. Um, and so we wanted to give a number of uh, trainings for school psychologists and ways they can intervene for students who've experienced a trauma. Now, I know that uh, Shane Jimerson out of UC Santa Barbara and Stephen Brock out of uh, Cal State Sacramento have uh, written a book on crisis intervention, um, which I believe is um, available through Amazon, but it's also available through NASP. Um, what are some of the areas that people need to focus in on when they're developing a program to work with children that have been going through traumatic kind of experiences? What kind of, what kind of programs at your schools do you have? Um, well, I, I, I see it less being a program and more of a change in attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oftentimes I have teachers coming to me saying, Tom, this, this student's having difficulty, and I believe it's this. As a school psychologist, I, I get to really do uh, a serious study in terms of, well, what else could it be? And so I get mm-hmm. to really uh, roll around in that differential uh, diagnosis piece in the sense that, you know, that there's many ways that a student might get to this place, but what was it for this student? And I wanted to teach adults that, you know, oftentimes it's, it's because of something serious that has gone on in their life that they're still trying to cope with and work through, and it's just being expressed in, you know, the, the school setting, the classroom, um, and so let, let's not blame the student. Uh, let's just figure out a way that to best support the student. Right. Right. Because by blaming the kid, we are what we call problem admiring. We're just giving admiration to the issue, to the problem, and we're not helping the kid. And we're actually, at times, even demonifying the kid. We, we make the kid into this awful thing when really all he needs is a sometimes not a program, like you said, and, and I have 
a fairly large organization, and people are often asking, okay, what's going to be the program? What's going to, and the program is, is that we're going to get a benefactor, somebody that's going to put their wing around this kid and just let them know it's okay. You're okay here. You're going to be okay. Other people are going to treat you fairly, and I'm going to be here for you. And that, at times, can be what the kid needs to hear. You know, quite often, school psychologists were, were very caught up in the amount of assessments and evaluations that we have to do. And so we tend to look at a kid through the eyes of a rating scale rather than through the eyes of of the people around him. Do you get a chance to work with the families also? Oh, I do. And that's one of the best parts of my job. I really enjoy uh, collaborating with families helping connecting them with uh, resources within the community or, or within the school site. Uh, oftentimes, you know, I'm just educating the families on how to be a good consumer for helping their student, and, and that provides me a lot of joy. I have uh, been able to accomplish a lot of assessments in my 25 years of doing this, and over 3,000, and I have to say about 75% of them were done with home visits. And... I never have been able to gain a, a high-quality individualized assessment unless I really saw what was going on in all environments that that kiddo was in. And sometimes it's a home, sometimes it's a group home, sometimes it's a hospital, sometimes it's a, uh, a foster care situation. But it's really important for me to understand that individual kid. How do you... I think the hardest part is when we have a teacher that's struggling and then we uh, we ask them for not only input into the assessment, but to show us the positive sides of the kid too. And they have a very, very difficult time doing that because they're so much concern over whether or not they're going to get the support that they need and sometimes they see the support as being uh, a removal of the kid which we call negative reinforcement removing that aversive you know tom i'm so sorry I'm, we have a little our break time has come up already so we're going to pick back up on this and get heidi in on this conversation when we return so we'll be back in just a couple minutes Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. We all have challenges each and every day. How do you relax and live in a calm state? On Chaos to Calm, we introduce you to the concept of Ren Shui, a path to feeling calmer and happier. Listen Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America 
health and wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, well, welcome back. And, and Tom, we were in the midst of talking about our, our jobs and how we do them. And one of the things that we were talking about during the break was just the numbers and the amount of, of, of kids and trying to see them all. You know, you had said that you had, had two schools. When I was a school psychologist in the school setting, I was working for LA County Office of Ed, and I had 14 schools that I had to be at. And each school had like two or three classrooms of about 10 kids, 10 to 15 kids each. It was overwhelming, but my goal was to see one class a day, spend the time with them, and and devote as much time to those individuals as I could. But this idea of the overwhelming numbers, I and mean, how do you deal with it, Tom? How do you deal with all of the... We've already talked about one aspect, just the crisis intervention, which is not a just, it's a huge thing. What about all the other areas that you're, do you find that you have enough time? Oh, absolutely not. I find that <laughs> I'm the one, I am the one minute school psychologist. You know, all my yeah. conversations are one minute um, because, you know, there's, there's just always more to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I, I wish I could be more proactive um, to help, you know, be, to be supportive before, you know, the student becomes, um, you know, identified. You know, I wish I had more time for the preventative work, and, and I, I try to do that. I try to offer groups. I try to think in terms of school climate, um, giving resources to teachers, and, and so on. Um, yeah, it's it's you know, a it's, pol- difficult. it's a policy issue. It's your superintendents, the state superintendents, the special ed advisory board, state affiliations. This is a great point to bring you in, Heidi, because. How did you get interested in public policy, and in particular, our world of school psychology, Heidi? <laughs> well, that was another um, accidental thing that mm-hmm. Tom was talking about. Um, I was uh, working for a public relations firm that CASP had hired several years ago, and um, so CASP was actually one of my clients, and uh, when the public relations firm decided that they didn't want to be in business anymore, um, CASP went ahead and took me on as a part-time um, communications director. Mm-hmm. And then we went from there. And um, I've always been interested in public policy. Um, I did that as a reporter and uh, was a political science major as well as a journalism major. So um, <laughs> kind of uh, got into that, that it's in your blood. stuff going on in the Capitol. Hmm? Yeah, it's in your blood. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, you, you told me a couple of days ago that you were going to be visiting a, uh, a school district's mental health program. Now that's This is a policy issue. Tell me a little bit about what you went and saw. Yeah, well, I was at a, uh, yesterday at a uh, school in Richmond, uh, and for your Southern California, or actually other... Um, oh, we've got people in, in Japan. California. We've got people yeah. in Spain, so we've got people all okay. over the world. But that is a <laughs> school district in folks. Northern California, right across the yes, bay from Northern San Francisco. Northern California, yes, in a uh, not exactly wealthy area. Um, and um, so they have, in this school of 500 kids, elementary school, they have probably um, half of their kids, they figure, have at least one parent who is not here legally. So um, that's one problem they have. They also have about 12 to 19, right around there, students who are here from um, Middle Eastern countries who landed here as refugees and um, didn't speak any English at all. Some of them had never even been in a school before. And so they are partnering with... Um, uh, a group called Seneca Centers, where they uh, got a grant to come in and do some um, major counseling work for everyone who needs that. They have a mindfulness room, mm. and where they go ahead and if kids are getting a little too upset about anything, um, they can go ahead and, and have some time in this room. They have yoga mats in there things like that, and some classrooms, most classrooms, actually use that room um, between they, when they go between blocks mm-hmm. of classes. Proactively. Right. And, right. So and go ahead and we actually did that in, so. I worked at a place called Five Acres, which was a first, LA, LA County's first orphanage, opened in about 1880, later became a site for children with emotional issues, and they had these timeout rooms. And we actually turned the timeout rooms into, if you were doing really well in class and you did all the things you were supposed to do, well, then you get to go to the, now what we call the timeout rooms was a student lounge. And we turned those rooms into fun little places where they had little computers, little mats that they could relax on, toys. It was a reward to go to student lounge rather than the disciplinary, and it sounds like they're trying to do something similar there, making those, right. uh, 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 what do they call mindfulness rooms, something that you could uh-huh. use to support yourself rather than get yourself all worked up to leave, because that's what we found, is that the kids are getting worked up and trying to avoid a situation by acting out, and if they can let us know what's going on, let us know how they're feeling, let us know what's what they're thinking about, being mindful about their existence in the school setting, then we're able to help them more and not in a disciplinary, uh, reactive way. So sorry, I cut you off there, but it's, it, <laughs> it's you know, it just it hit home with something that I think all schools n- need to look at Setting up, there is actually something that's called a primary intervention program, a PIP program. Tom, I don't know if you've ever heard of these, but they are run by a paraeducator in a school setting. And it is very similar to what you were talking about, Heidi. You know, you might have yoga classes, you might have relaxation times, but it is a place where the paraeducator has been taught to de-escalate kids, not discipline and be unbiased we've actually created 
programs where we call check what we call check in check out, where if somebody's been having a lot of issues in school, you can have them in a check in check out program with somebody who's completely uh, uh, benign, somebody that's not in the disciplinary realm at all, like the cafeteria worker, the student store worker, the the uh, a janitor, a custodial person that they can go and talk to and feel free to talk to about whatever they want to talk to them about and then go back to class was the the other issue that you brought up is the idea of these kids are afraid of being taken away by the government because of new and you have that I'm sure also in your school district Tom because it's a high Latino school district and so I how do, Heidi, how was the school dealing with those issues of fear and racism, I guess is the two words I would use. Yeah, well, the, um, the day after the election, they went ahead and had um, made sure that there were counselors and um, local, um, they had some local resources, too, that they use when it comes to counseling. And they uh, made sure that there were a lot of people on campus the next day. Mm-hmm. To make to try to assure not only the the children but the parents that um, you know they they would do everything they could to um, make sure that uh, everything would be just okay for their families. Um, and this came from the principal. Um, she is very very strong. She um, went ahead and and is really going after every program she can to just make her school a better place. When she showed up at that school, um, she said the teachers did not have a good attitude. It was kind of known as the school that no one wanted to teach at. No. And yeah. she, in a year, uh, she has turned that around so that um, God they bless now her. have a... Yeah. So, um, and they have done this with um, also the help of the school psychologist who has been very strong and um, works with her very closely I'm making sure that they do have all of these, not only mental health services, but just, um, I don't know if you would really consider them mental health services, just a, a friendly atmosphere. She changed the climate is what she did, totally changed the climate of that school. So it's a really, um, you know, it doesn't look like much, <laughs> but, um, but she's doing her best to um, make sure it's a place where kids want to be. And that was in conjunction with Seneca Centers, is the, what you called it, Seneca yes? Seneca Centers, and also, uh, that was not the only one, though. There's another group that's working with them, too. The um, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have a, the correct name of that, but it's also a, a Bay Area coalition mm-hmm. that has uh, worked through the regional centers there. That's great. Now, did, also, you, did, did you get involved with this through the Pupil Services Coalition, or how did you get involved with that? Well, this is a part of what the, um, there's a group called the Mental Health um, Services Oversight and Accountability Commission. These are the folks who took, who were, well, this commission was formed with the Proposition 63 money. That was the tax on wealthy people that goes into mental health services Mm -hmm. in California. Right. And they are now trying to get their arms around um, mental health services for um, children and students and trying to figure out um, what actually happens in the schools, what happens in regional centers, uh, and um, insurance problems, Medi-Cal mm-hmm. pro- programs, and how to pay for it and that sort of thing. So this is yeah, one of the things that they did, and they, they invited me to come along. 
That's wonderful. One of the things that most of our listeners don't know is that about, what, three years ago, four years ago, the Department of Mental Health stopped uh, funding counseling services in school settings. Thus, the school districts had to pick up not only the, the, the costs of those, uh, those interventions, but had to have the, uh, the right amount of staff for those interventions. And it's been a huge change. I mean, I, I, I remember Tom even had me come out to his school site to do a workshop on autism and anxiety so that the uh, uh, participants of the workshop would have some interventions for counseling. Tom, I'm going to start with you on this question. Um, where do you see the field moving to? You know, we're, we, we've, we had those hybrid years where we put together the combo of individual psych and, and education. Then we're in these thoroughbred years now where things are expanding and changing and different roles coming about. What, what in a couple minutes, what could you say uh, in regards to where the, you see the field going to? Well, I, I can share where I hope the field goes. Um, mm-hmm. School psychologists are trained in, in many different areas, um, you know, that go beyond testing and placing students. I, I really think social-emotional issues and school climate is going to be the big push, at least in uh, California, if not uh, the rest of the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really think we need to be actively involved with that, you know, learning how to support students and helping them gain, um, you know, strategies, social skills uh, in, in order to be successful in whatever school environment they're in. Yeah, so many training programs moved away from teaching counseling skills and teaching those interactive skills and moved more towards evaluation of intellectual neuroprocessing and academic ability where it's so important that we see if we're going to call ourselves psychologists that we are able to look at somebody's psychological essence and and support them Heidi I'll ask you the same question where do you see I'm going to twist it a little bit where do you what would you like to cast to be doing over the next decade or or the next five minutes whichever comes first yeah really um, I think CAS um, needs to become even more active in the um, politics in California. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to do more, uh, look at more legislation that's coming through. They need to propose more legislation um, and try to shape how it is that um, services um, are offered in the schools. Um, they do have a stake in that. They're the biggest stakeholders, I think, when it comes to that, and know better than probably anyone else. Um, for example, right now there's a movement to get folks into the schools who do not have credentials, teaching credentials. Right. And we're fighting that pretty much tooth and nail because um, if you don't understand the education code, you really should not be in the schools. Right, and I remember, in that. I yeah. remember when we as cast as an organization when they wanted to remove the name psychologist we got up and we fought the fight with our members for that and, and it just shows that they can fight the fight guys the show has come to an end it comes so quickly i thank you so much both for being on the show and maybe in a couple months or whatever we'll do it again and see see where we're at see where we're at then so thank you so much 
Remember that on Strategies and Solutions, taking on the challenge of Dr. Sean, we are about your success and know that each day can be a new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.